0: at NewBalance.com. Yes! What is up, everybody? Welcome to Brian McBride's favorite podcast, in
1: Soccer We Trust.
0: I'm Jimmy Conrad, alongside Keith Pierce and Charlie Davies, and in honor of July 4th, our country's birthday, a country, by the way, that has officially been around for 246 years, and we still don't have a men's World Cup trophy to show for it. Though a shout-out to our women's national team who have won the World Cup four out of the eight times it's been held. What? They're absolute bosses, and we love to see it. But we're going to reminisce about our favorite moments in U.S. men's national team history because there's way too many uh, moments in U.S. women's national team history. So, Heath, I'm going to come to you first. Like what was that one moment for you that changed everything from a U.S. men's national team perspective?
2: Um, I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I do think it was a transformative moment, but I wouldn't say necessarily for the, uh, it's more that it changed me. It was my biggest, biggest moment for me, with na- national with regard to the national team history. And that was going back to 2002 world cup opener against Portugal, where the U S came out flying and then held on in the end to win three, two against Portugal, and I grew up in, 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 a, in a part of California where a lot of farmers, right? A lot of farm, farm hands, a lot of farmers, mostly Portuguese, Mexican. And, and so Portugal was a big, big hit back home. And um, I wasn't even home, but I remember growing up with these guys. I was on the East Coast, and the game kicked off at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I don't know uh, where you guys were at when that tournament started, but that was the first sort of two-host, uh, two-nation uh, co-hosted World Cup but the, the, the kickoff times were insane. And this one was at 5 mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning on the East Coast. would have been 2 o'clock in the morning on the West Coast. And I remember just planning my entire summer. I would have been 17 years old at the time. Uh, planning my entire summer around how I'm going to get enough sleep to get up and watch these games. And not watch them passively. Watch them intently. And then I remember you know, going up a goal very early on in that game and then holding on into that match. And then, obviously, there's a tale to that, you know, where we go on to beat Mexico to reach the the Quinta partido and all that sort of stuff. But for me, it was like an eye-opening moment that, you know, this was the era of early Landon Donovan, early DeMarcus Beasley. The U.S. was ranked pretty pretty good going into this tournament, but they didn't qualify very well. They didn't play great against Poland in the tournament. So I go back to that
0: initial opener. But did you have a personal connection with DeMarcus and Landon? Did you go to any camps with them or – no, so I'd never been in any camps with them. I, but, but when I
2: went into re- the residency program, Demarcus Beasley was the last one there from his group. He was still finishing high school. So he spent one semester with us, training with us, coming in and out. He was the, one of the early project... Actually, Demarcus Beasley's brother, I think, was the first ever Project 40 signing. But Demarcus, was a Project 40, 40 signing was a huge hype. He had won one of the awards at, at the uh, U-17 World Cup. I think Landon won the golden ball, and he won something else. Um, or Golden Boot, Golden Ball, one of those uh, between them. So he was this like incredible, incredible player, and he was like giving players shoes. And when we, when he stayed with us, you know, he had this room full of Air Maxes. And he was just the Demarcus that you knew if you ever went out with him for a night, a night on the town. That he was very generous, took care of you. And so to see him now make that leap. Just uh, a couple years later, to the to the first national, uh, to the first team national team, and then play in a World Cup was was a massive thing, and that was my only connection, other than the fact that I was obsessed with John O'Brien and a number of these players that you heard about, right? Because mm-hmm. you didn't have a lot of access to these guys, and so to watch them do that, I think was a real eye opener for me. That wow, this is amazing. I was this. You guys are going to kill me for this, but I was I went full kit wanker for all the matches <laughs> <laughs> with my youth national team stuff. And in between when we went in between games and stuff, we would do these rollouts with me and my friends. I I don't know. Charlie, you know, Kurt Morsink, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Kurt Kurt Morsink and I were living together in in Brainton going into a PDL uh, season summer. And we'd walk out and do these walkouts out of the tunnel uh, playing FIFA games and stuff (laughs) in in the morning in between games. We were proper loopy just because of the kickoff times. But I remember this. And, and and again, it was the game, it was the experience. It was me and friends just gathered around in the most absurd hours to watch a World Cup. And and that to me, to, to see them go on, obviously the game in itself only set them up to get out of the group. They lose to Poland in the in the in the third game. They sneak out with South Korea and then they go on to to what I think was sort of arrive on the stage. We obviously had a lot of bumps along the road since then, but for, for me growing up dreaming seeing DeMarcus Beasley do it uh and and all of that it was just uh, 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 the biggest moment uh in in my career outside of you know the women's side when i had a player from my hometown play for the the 99ers and Tisha Venturini and there's so many other things i mean i want to i want to once i hear your guys' stories i want to kind of discuss some uh mm-hmm. some uh, honorable mentions <clears> because it was really sure, hard to, sure. to, to to break down but uh yeah that's that that to me was The biggest moment for me as a player going like, oh man, I want to do this. I want to make it look at, look at this moment. Look at, look at the fans going crazy. Look at them celebrating. This is our national team who had previous to that kind of was just, it was always a dream to play for the national team, but it didn't have this whole, like, we didn't have the recognition of what that meant, what that stood for. And it was finally, at least in my inner circles, reaching beyond that. I was living with a Venezuelan family. They heard about it and other people were just sort of like, it finally kind of
0: went beyond me and my small group of friends. And that was a real validating moment. No, I think the ripple effects of that result are probably what we'll dive into after we talk about everybody's. All right, Chuck, what do you got for us? Uh,
1: you know, it's, it's 2002. It, it, you know, that was a World Cup similar to, to Heath where it was exciting to work, wake up at 5 a.m. And in, in particular, the game, round of 16, Mexico. You know, you, you don't really plan to play your arch rival in a World Cup in a knockout game. And I remember just having to wake up so early you know ninety four kind of set the tone for me. That's when I was exposed to the game. I was obsessed. You know, watching them get out of a group, I was like, "Oh wow, U.S." You know, there's there's some hype in this sport in in this country. The nineteen ninety nine Women's World Cup was also pretty special because it's on ABC. It felt like finally people were paying attention to the sport outside of you know the the men's game. I felt like the women's run to the World Cup um, trophy really galvanized the country to say, Hey, we can come together to support the sport, support women. But I was, I was Mia Ham was like, that was a thing for me. I was like, Oh, she's a striker. She's beautiful. Like I, I, I was all about um, that, that World Cup. but 2002, that was transformative because now we're getting to a quarter final. And, and I think that really changed the, the expectation and it and also gave us hope so for me it's that mexico game and hey by the way Washington charlie
2: too. by the by the way and i didn't mean to interrupt what you were saying but there was also a 2 30 a.m kickoff a 7 a.m kickoff mm-hmm. it was a, like on the east coast like i think we played south korea in the middle of the night at two thirty a.m which yeah.
1: is insane clint mathis <laughs> that's what i think of yeah. um but you know and then selfishly beating spain um in the confederations cup that that was a magical moment cuz cuz they had been unbeaten they go on to win the world cup the next year i think that moment re- resonates with a lot of us because it, it finally put us at that level of oh wow we we can win a world cup you know we always talk about oh the us has all these athletes but after that game it was really a reality that if you go in with the right tactical game plan you don't have to have 10 Chavez and 10 Fernando Torres on the pitch to win you you if you if you play the game right and you tactically are, are sound you can win a World Cup because we have that quality so that was pretty cool to to win that that match and being a FIFA final um so I, I'd say selfishly I'd love that game but for me it's that that 2002 Mexico match where, where we won 2-0 hey
2: just to add a little context Jimmy on on that Confederations Cup for for everybody that's listening so we 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 open. Uh, you, we have Italy, we have Brazil, and we have um, Egypt. Egypt in the group. So we lose to Italy. Giuseppe Rossi, who who is a traitor, uh, scores. <laughs> against us. Uh, Score. They okay. he, he played well that he, game. I remember. He had a he had a banger that went from like outside to inside and in, in, in inside the post. Lose to Brazil. And we are sitting in, and I and and maybe you have a different memory of this, Charlie. We're sitting in the meal room and pretty deflated, right? But you're also kind of like with a little bit of a perspective of like you've got Italy and Brazil in your group. What can you do? Right. And we're planning flights, and there's only a few of us that are going to the gold cup from from there. That's you and I, Charlie, I think, and maybe one more. Mm-hmm. And and they're planning everyone's flight. So we're going into the third game, pretty much out. And Uh, everyone's again, booking flights for their vacation or where they're going to go because you've lost your first two games and there's a six gold deficit that you have to be able to make up between your game and another game. So to, to be able to climb out of that with sort of a, all kind of all bets are off for, for the, for the Spain game. It's certainly one that if, if, when you're inside, when you're inside the camp, you realize just how big of a deal it was because even the administrators were sort of tasked with like we're sending everyone home we're sending everybody on their way we got to get ahead of this because like we've lost our first two games and then to go on to reach a final in the confederations cup i certainly think it's worth worth uh being on the list at least for 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 mm-hmm.
0: magical well moments. you got to finish the context there cuz for those that don't know you beat egypt 3-0 you needed brazil to beat italy 3-0 and that all played out which is
2: but we're on the bench and i i was charlie charlie played uh uh was was was, was i was a uh, i was a uh, on the bench and and the the whole discussion is what's the score of the other game what's the score of our game what's the score of the other game when we get the third we're hearing that you know brazil brazil italy that italy's getting beat 3-0 and it's closing out and so we're kind of all in this whole like you know trying to do the math and not and avoid like the Orlando City situation where it's about like penalties and like who's what's the number and all that only to find out that we've gone through and i think that may have been a massive motivator of like a second chance uh, in the tournament where you kind of the edges off a little bit and then like playing Charlie with house said, money. You, yeah, you playing with house money. And then yeah. th- th- it was just a spectacle. I, I had to go into doping after the semifinal there against Spain. Uh, my, Michael Bradley was trying to fight everyone in the tunnel from the other team, the refs and everyone. Bob and Mike were fighting. But now we'd reached a, 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 a massive final. And, and, and for Charlie, selfishly, from an outside perspective, sort of set the trajectory at that point for, for the career path that he was on. And, and, and was heading on, like a real validating tournament
0: up to that point for him going into that final. I was on that Gold Cup team with you guys in 2009, so... And then I got a concussion and then I, that was it. I didn't really recover. I, you know, I was only really good for about a year, I think of my life. And then it just kind of all fell apart. But uh, Jay Heaps we, started in a final. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I can't believe like, like throwing Jay heaps. It was Kenny Cooper with me last week. And now it's you and Jay heaps. I mean, put some respect on these guys. Hey, they, listen, they, I they, they had a part. He, I, he I said,
1: Oh no, honestly, he said, Jay Heaps starting the final. <laughs> hey, I will but, say this:
0: I, I went back and watched those
2: highlights the other day of that final, and it was not, like Jay Heaps got elbowed in the face when when they called that penalty, and that would have definitely been overturned in the now era when he was sort of getting wrapped up, got an elbow, and then sort of got tripped up to give that penalty to start the second half. Where but then we ran away. People forget that it was it was zero zero at halftime. Yeah. So let's not forget we tied the first half. The, the first half was, a little was bit different. yeah. The
0: second half, was, uh, <laughs> uh, we won't was, even tell you I the was, final I score. I was watching
1: one. from France, and and I remember my. My teammates are like oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. U- us what, what's yeah. up with them yeah. just getting
0: slapped uh, with five goals in the second half yeah it's never never fallen on I was up top I with, with John Hackworth him and I were kind of being the eyes in the sky for Bob and the coaching staff with regard to you know any tactical adjustments and yeah it was hard after that second half like walking down the stairs to go address everybody and to go in the locker room was tough because what happened to you Jimmy in that tournament i got uh I got knocked out cold in Philadelphia against Panama in the quarterfinals. Kyle Beckerman oh, actually man. scored his only one, yeah, I got knocked out. You were there. Heath remember I was like yeah talking I've, gibberish I've, in the I've, I've,
1: I literally flew out just before that that game we We got to Philadelphia after the first round, and we we're playing in the knockout phase and that's when I got my move to France. So I I flew that's right. literally the first day we, we got to Philly. So I blame Man. Charlie. Amazing it's to hear the lack of
2: commitment. Amazing <laughs> to hear the
0: lack of commitment from Charlie, you know? <laughs> I know, I
1: know. I was well, my, my, that my,
0: game. my work here is oh, done. Right. I'm heading back to Europe, guys. I'm out. I'm out. Europe's calling. All right, so my my big moment is, is the same. It's 2002. I thought transformative is a great word to use in describing that because In 1998, we were the worst team in the World Cup out of 32 teams. And 94 had so much hope. And we came out of that going, hey, we got out of our group. It was a tough group. We hosted it. Now we're going to go over to Europe. We're going to really put our flag in the ground and let everybody know that we are the real deal. And we're going to build off of what we did in 94. And it didn't happen. And in fact, we were not very good. There was a lot of inner turmoil within the team. It just was not a lot of good vibes around that particular group of players. And the performances, I think, uh, displayed that as well. So you go into 2002 and to Heath's point, first 30 minutes against Portugal, you're like, all right, this is already different. The vibes are different here. This is a different group. we got some exciting young players. We're going out there putting our best foot forward. And I think what I took out of that particular tournament, now I, I was in MLS at the time, and two of my teammates were on the team with Jeff Agus and Landon Donovan. So to have that kind of touch point, and we had just won MLS Cup in 2001, so coming off of that success and feeling good about it, then sending these guys off. To go represent us in in the World Cup was very very cool and and uh, gave me gave me more of a touchpoint than I'd ever had before. Ninety four, I was a kid like you guys, and and just this is just so amazing and really starting to absorb all the energy and enthusiasm around the sport and all the different cultures that were there. And then in ninety eight, you know, there was that hype and being disappointed that we didn't do more with it. And then obviously, I was very excited about this group. So it just felt like in this when we played the teams, even the host Korea. Poland I think was the one blip where we didn't play particularly well. It's almost like we had everything in our hands and we 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 just we hadn't been in that situation before and and we let it go but thankfully we got a little bit of help to get into the knockout rounds. And then against Mexico and then against Germany in the quarterfinals as well. We should have got more out of that 1-0 result that we lost than we did. If VAR had been around uh what Torsten Frings would have gotten a red card for the handball mm-hmm. on the goal line by our now coach Greg Burhalter. So the fine margins were were worked against us there but I think what we proved was that we could hang with anybody in the world. And that felt really refreshing and positive and hopeful. And that was exciting. And and then little did I know four years later, I'd be part of a very similar group, a lot of the same players. And and then we kind of fell back into a little bit of disappointment as we tried to manage the expectations of being, uh, we're not we're not underdogs anymore. But 2010, we got. I think we got to bring up the Algeria goal that that Landon scores because right off of you guys having that success in the Confederations Cup, I think there was again that belief that we can do something special. So for him to score that late and for us to win our our first ever group at a World Cup, is incredibly significant. And unfortunate that we ran into Ghana in the next round, who were kind of our bogey team at that time and in, in World Cups because we lost to them in 2006 as well. But There are all these little moments along the way that continue to give belief and to give inspiration to the next generation. And I assume the the kids that are playing now were of a certain age back in in 2010 and 2014 that they are like, hey, we're getting out of groups. We have the potential. We can hang with anybody. Mm -hmm. And and I'd love to hear from these guys uh, after or during or before. Just, just how important those moments and visuals were that, that they could be a part of this in the future and to make a big difference. And so, Because that, that's what those World Cups did for us. That's what 2002 did for all of us. Even though I was a little bit older than you guys, it gave me the belief that, hey, I've got a couple teammates on the World Cup team. I'm not that far away. I just have to put a couple things together and, and get out of my own way, because that was my biggest issue, was getting out of my own way. And 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 I think I could get there because I can see the quality that these guys have. I just have to make sure I can get to that point. As well, And it's so important for, for our players. That's why I think not qualifying for 2018 was such a big deal, because we missed out on a generation of, of kids that are coming up to see what it looks like and feels like and tastes like to have your country in, in a World Cup and have that type of representation and to show them that we can play and hang with the best countries in the world.
2: Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this, too. Was there was there a moment, and, and this is a sort of on biggest moments for you personally that 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 changed your pers- your perspective or gave you a little bit of anger or desire to say I want to be part of that? Because I, when I look back and I and I think about, I got called in for the Copa America, and as I was arriving, I was I had just heard that the U.S. had beat. i had arrived in Chicago to fly to to, to mm-hmm. obviously to Venezuela. And I had just heard that this U.S. team had won the Gold Cup, and I was watching it on a screen at the hotel bar, and it's Benny Philhaber running to the corner and someone pulling his shirt. It's that iconic shot of, of, of Benny and the crowd just basically being full Mexico and just this moment of, of running it late. And I remember feeling like I'm about to get on a plane with a lot of these guys who have now experienced something different than me. And it angered me. Like I was so excited because uh-huh. Benny was one of my good friends and uh-huh. I was excited for the team. And it's a huge moment going into another tournament or just for our own credibility as a national team. But deep down inside, I was like on fire. And I went down and ended up, you know, Charlie, uh, I mean, um, Johnny Bornstein ended up starting two of the three games at Copa America. And I was just like, I don't want to feel this anymore. I don't want to feel like I need I, I need to control what I can control. But I want to make sure that I'm 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 like locking myself at least in contention for this national team and then making a tough decision for 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 bob and and that gold cup 2007 was the one that did it for me where like i thought about it for days and days and days uh, of just being like i never i don't want to miss out on that again o- obviously in the end i end up missing out on going to the world cup in 2010 but it was the, it was a real motivator for me to say like you're going to have to do you're gonna have to improve. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to like kind of t- t- grasp this a little bit tighter and do a little bit more um, if if you want to be able to be in person to experience special moments with the national team, which ultimately got me to the Confederations Cup and another Gold Cup and things like that. And that was a real turning point for me of being like, oh, I wasn't invited to the party, and I want to be invited to the party next time. Either of you have have a moment or something you saw on TV because everybody knows you watch cl- club games or you watch national team games. In person, it feels different for both of you. I know it does, right? If you're sitting in person, you watch the national team play versus watching your old club team play, there's a little bit of something going on that's that's harder to digest, harder to interpret, harder to know, like positive, negative, like tears of joy, you know, kind of mixed emotions.
0: Uh, I'll go first, Charlie. I got a call from Bob Bradley a couple months before that summer of 2007 where we were going to have back-to-back tournaments. When we played in the Gold Cup and then immediately went down to Copa America. And that was going to take me away from my club team and my family for eight weeks, eight or nine weeks. That's a big ask. But I, of course, what are you going to say no to the national team coach when he's going to ask you to be at that point a pivotal member of his starting squad and and to be part of it? And I was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm all the way in, Bob. No problem. And when I got home, this was this was maybe two weeks before my first daughter was born. So my first daughter's born, and obviously you have your own emotions, and I think I've talked about this a little bit before. But you're, you know, you have your own dad issues of maybe what your dad didn't do when you were a kid, and you want to fill that void. So I was a little bit maybe over the top and like wanting to be there and be the guy for for my daughter because I didn't get as much of that when I was younger, and so I had that kind of factoring in. And now you add into the fact that my wife is, she doesn't want to be left alone with the baby by herself for eight or nine weeks. And, and so we're trying to figure out ways to get our, our moms to come in, my mother-in-law and my, and my mom to come in and potentially help. And it was just so stressful at home. I got a hamstring injury. I never got hamstring injuries. You guys knew I took pretty good care of myself. I did a lot of yoga. I did all that stuff. And, and I just never wanted to, you know, risk putting my body at risk so I wouldn't miss anything. And I had a hamstring, and I had to tell Bob I'm out for the Gold Cup. So when I didn't go, but I showed up in Chicago just like you did, Heath, I was absolutely irate that that I was not part of that group because, like you, I missed a part of an experience that not only was shared by the players but also the coaching staff because the coaching staff goes, oh, I guess we don't really need Jimmy anymore to 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 win pivotal games. And that those little things hurt. So I go down to Copa America, and we don't play particularly well, but there was this one play against Argentina where Bob blamed me. But ultimately, I was kind of trying to step into a space because – Nobody was – we were tired. We were chasing the game the whole time, and I tried to make something happen, and they exploited the gap and scored. And he held that against me. I played the next game. He held something else against me. And then I didn't play for the national team for the next 18 months. And there was no, like, direct conversation between me and Bob as to why that happened. So anytime the team played, I was starting to get more and more bitter. And I was happy for you guys in terms of the Confederations Cup. But, again, I felt I felt this, this – I, I don't know what the word – it's not jealousy per se, but I just – I wanted to be a part of it because I thought I was good enough and and should have been a part of that group, but I wasn't, and that hurt me a lot. And then I had the chance of the Gold Cup, and then I get that bad concussion. And I just just couldn't just couldn't get that run that I needed to get in. But it's weird because I want to support you guys as players, and I want us to win. But I also know that if that if you're not winning, that gives me a better chance to get into the team. How about you, Charlie?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> the 2010 World Cup. Y- you know, you you work your whole life to to participate in a World Cup. That's the goal. And I, uh, you know, I, I made a bad decision in 2009 that led to me getting, um, being involved in a car accident. And so, you know, I was a a passenger, um, and you know, someone, um, you know, fatally passed away and tragically passed away in in that car accident. And so you, my initial reaction was, um, first was when can I get back on the field? Because that, Know for me, I was I I had everything looking forward. I I looked, I I had felt that my future was kind of set for me. I had this, Mm -hmm. I had this path, I had this destiny, I was on a roll, I was moving at the speed of light, and it just felt like with every opportunity I I had to play on the pitch, I just kept growing and, and getting better and better. And I craved that level of competition from the confederations cup i wanted to be playing spain every week i wanted to be playing with with and against those players every week and so you know you realize all of a sudden that life is much different than than you had um kind of expected it to be and you took a lot of things for granted and so you my initial feeling was I, i have to make make this up to my, my family, my teammates, you know, the coaches, the fans. And so I'm, I'm working through all of this pain and I feel like I deserved it because I put myself in that situation and I didn't want to feel pity. I didn't want to feel, you know, um, I didn't want anything from anybody. I, I, I wanted to, to take that pain for myself. Uh, and and I'm grateful for the support that I had around me. My, my wife, um, my you know gucci Yebu was there um next to me he because he tore his patella tendon in that game against costa rica and then um, james hashimoto who was the trainer for the national team that's who i went to basically live with and and he was training me and then Stu holden would come in every now and then because you know he had some some injuries uh so you know i, I kept pushing and pushing and, and as as impossible as it was that i would i mean doctors doubted that i'd be able to you know play soccer again period as as impossible as it was to get back for this World Cup, that's what was driving me every day. And I was doing ten hour ten hour days of rehab, and you know it started with just standing up. Started with just being able to hold my leg up in the air, and so I just kept progressing. And about four months in, I was able to start jogging on the ultra G machine, and I'm like, oh man, this this could be a reality. And and I was doing you know agility, and my quickness was still there on the agility, but we all know that agility is is not how you play the game of soccer that's just a, a small portion of it so I'm finally back in training in France and I'm 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 pushing I'm forcing it I'm like I'm gonna I'm going to get a call to the camp and that's all I really cared about was just getting to the camp I probably I knew making the 23 was was not probably realistic although I had hoped that maybe I'd be that 23rd player and I could just be there and and kind of Do the training and and rehab and maybe by the end of the world cup i might be able to 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 be an impact sub and so finally i get that call from from bob and may a week before they had to um submit or maybe it might have been a day before they had to submit the the 35 man roster and uh he just said you know everyone's proud of you uh you've come a long way but we we knew this moment we were gonna have this talk at some point and so um, I, I'm not going to be able to take you to the camp. And so you have that pain. And that was rock bottom for me at that time. I had not experienced, a, a, a even through the accident, All that that was the moment that you it hits you, the consequences. You paid the consequences, the ultimate consequence, not getting a World Cup. I'm probably never going to get to participate in the World Cup. So then you're watching mm-hmm. them, right? So you, I go on vacation right off uh, after he tells me uh, I'm not going to join uh, the team. So I go to Bahamas for to get away. My wife says, "You know what? Let's just get away. Get away from people. Soccer. You know, let's go enjoy." Everyone in the Bahamas has a World Cup jersey on. There were pe- <laughs> there were players who who were also cut from their World Cup uh, rosters. I remember Aquilani from from Italy. He got cut from from the team, and he's there. You know, you so you're constantly around. Them. I'm like, you can't avoid it. So I go back to Delaware to to rehab, and we're watching the games. I go back to France for preseason and Alejandro Bedoya comes to visit me for my, for my birthday. And we watch, uh, we watch the Algeria game. And I just remember being like, oh my God, and, and I'm, I'm so happy for them. But it's, every game is painful. I feel like, man, that was my opportunity to really help this team win. And you watch the Ghana game, you're like, yeah, if I was there, I would have finished that. Or if I was there, I would have made that run. you know. And you're doing that. But after that Algeria game, they called me uh, from the locker room and that will always sit, you know, that, that will always sit with me in, in terms of while wow, they still thought of me in that moment. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, who, I mean, who,
0: who called, do you know who was the catalyst?
1: Yeah, it was uh, Mo and, and Josie and, uh, and then That's landed, cool, and, landed and Stu got on and, and then it kind of pat that was passed around and everybody was saying what's up and they're doing, the, you know, they're like, Oh, we're doing the stanky leg for you on the field. And so, uh, you know, any time I watched the U.S. game, I, I had like a pit in my stomach, literally um, every every time I watched them up until the the day I retired because I, I was working even after I got back and playing an MLS. and I was never the same player. I always felt like, man, I, I think I can earn a January call up and, and that would that would be. Heaven for me, right? Like, full circle, I got back, and January camp is great because there was that run I had in 2014. I scored, you know, seven goals in a short amount of time to get to MLS Cup uh, finals. I felt like, oh man, new coach, maybe Jurgen Klinsman gives me an opportunity as a January camp guy. I didn't get it. 2015, I was like, I'm still pushing. 2016, I'm like, I'm still pushing. I just want that one chance. And then, you know, I get diagnosed with cancer, and my boys were born three months early, and, and then I, yeah, life, I, I, life. I I I hit the peak and and came down and so um, right when that happened and you know the dream is gone then I'm like oh that pit that pit has gone and I can just be a supporter and be a fan but I've I've felt that my whole life to be honest um, up and up 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 from that point
0: that's uh that's a crazy story in a lot of different ways I was with you in 2009 and in that camp when that car accident happened and it still feels super surreal. And I was in that January camp in 2010 when you came to visit. I don't think you were training with us, but you came to say hello, and and uh, I could see your your sadness just written all over your body language, and and not really knowing what to say because th- I didn't know what to say. I was obviously we were all hopeful that you'd get on the team or at least uh, come well, back. Well, contextually, in that, in that all Jimmy, it, were you there at that it, camp in January Charlie, 2010, Heath? Uh yes. Yeah, and and contextually,
2: Charlie Charlie is. Is a prankster loud. You can hear him yeah. on the bus. You can hear him in the locker room. <laughs> like he's alive. He's the energy of, of, of a team. Like he's not a quiet guy. And I remember that also, Jimmy, just the, 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 um, how quiet Charlie was, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. compared to the Charlie that, 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 that we had, we had uh, known for so long. And yeah, I, I remember all of that distinctly.
0: Yeah, it was, it was an intense time. And obviously we had our own stuff going on, Heath, but I remember thinking that. I couldn't not, imagine what it would be like. It's like oh,
1: it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, well, it wasn't that. It was more – I just couldn't imagine what it was going – like what you were going through to – and to process just the, the accident in general. I mean, you have your own kind of career ambitions that are attached to what mm-hmm. happened in that accident, but also just the trauma of what you went through in that – And and I can't even imagine what – did you – I, I don't know how much you want to open up, open into uh, no, this, but go ahead. I'm, but I like in terms to of like books, so yeah, therapy. I mean, did you go get yeah. talk to a, a psychologist? Like, because yeah, no. you're 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 working with two different things here, where you mm-hmm. realize that you've maybe really hampered your dream moving forward. But then also there's this this personal side where I I almost just died, and somebody did die in this, and and that has its own place where you have you can't. I don't think you can compartmentalize that away. I think you have to walk through that a little bit as well. And then obviously that's going to play into how you probably approach your dream as you try to work through, it. you know, can I ever be as good as I was? Because as you mentioned, and, and it's not uh, hyperbole here, Charlie was on it. I mean, you were, you were destined to be our number nine at the 2010 World Cup or to be our strike partner with Josie Altid. Like it was all set up for you to, you were on a rocket ship. And so you had to handle like two different things. And so, well also Jimmy contextually, it was,
2: it happened in a world cup camp, a world cup qualifying camp. Right, yes. That's right. uh, like this because was, with the, this was the national team. It was very close to home to everything that was going on in, in, in
1: your life. It was, uh, it was the qualifying camp. Mm-hmm. So I, I would tell you one, I, I never went to see a psychologist hmm. when I was in the hospital and I had the a, a, a priest come in every day, and he would remind me um, how lucky I am to be alive. He'd ask me, you know, had you seen that car? Have, had I seen the car that I was in? I said no, and he said, you know, people usually don't walk away from that. You have, and and just know there's a bigger plan for you. You may not know it, you may not know why. A lot of people will say why or how, but just know there is, and, and you know, just make the most of it right? You have a second chance at life. And I've, that's how I approached it. I said, I'm not going to think about the what ifs. And, but I did, I mean, that kept me up at night for about four months of why did I make that decision? Mm -hmm. You could go back all the, you know, from, from going out to dinner with, with Stu Holden to watch Monday night football. And from that point on, like no need to, you know, you could, you could go down the list. And so, uh, for me, I just said, the only thing I can control is how I am as a person. What, uh, how I wake up every day, how I'm going to um, make the people around me better. And so I literally just focused on the rehab. That's, that's the, and, and the pain that I was taking from the rehab and all the pain I felt and the, the embarrassment, and as you talked about how I was quiet, it's because I, I just felt <clears throat> ashamed. I felt like I, I let so many people down, and I know I let so many people down. So how could I be the same person? I'm still a shell of myself anyways i'm still trying to build myself back up and so still pro i was at that point still processing everything and you can imagine how how emotional i felt being around everybody yeah it felt great to see you all and and talk to to everybody but it's still so emotional it's 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 raw and so mm-hmm. um I, I i guess my therapy really was just talking to my wife nina talking to hash every day and I'm very fortunate that they were always by my side, but I just kept pushing. And that's the only way that I was able to, to stay positive was like I got my mind solely focused on getting back. And, and the whole reason and intention for me to get back on the field was I felt that was going to be a way to make up for it to all you guys. If I could get back on the field and produce that man and I and I have this new like appreciation for life that that was going to be enough to for all of you to be like in the locker room and, and Bob and the coaches have to be like, man, Charlie, he, he, he proved us. He proved us right. You know, he is he is that person and he made up for it because he made up for that mistake because he showed us with his commitment to, to the team and commitment to to us that he was going to get back on the field for us. That that was my thinking.
0: Um, that's that's a really powerful yeah. way that having that singular focus i think can drive you to do mm-hmm. some things that maybe got you farther along than you would have otherwise absolutely so i absolutely. appreciate that approach and, and we love you chuck we're, we're glad yeah. that you're still here with us
2: and Thank hey, Jimmy, you. <laughs> on on, on, yeah. a, on a lighter note real quick to wrap this thing up charlie d- did you ever consider playing for ghana <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: you know gambia came into the picture late uh and ireland um okay you know that my my I went to play in a, a region one tournament in Austria. You know, there's Manchester United there, Austria, Japan, Stuttgart, all these clubs. I scored a bike, had a good tournament, I scored a couple more goals. And a, a Manchester United scout, scout called my home and my dad picked up and he asked, like, what's Charlie's passport situation? Could he come over to the academy and train for a little bit? And I was like, oh my God, Manchester United called my house. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, oh, I can be a professional and not only be a professional, but good. And so my dad's calling Gambia, calling about passports. And <laughs> they're like, oh, well, if you get a Gambian passport, you can't play for England. I mean, you can't, that doesn't count, doesn't do yeah. anything for you. In England. <laughs> um, so I was like, ah, oh, damn. And then we're like, what about Ireland? And they're like, no, your grandparents have to be born in Ireland, not your great grandparents. And I was like, Uh,
0: you would have been Charlie O. Davies. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Yeah, I
2: meant to make them be there. All
0: right. Now, last final thoughts before we say uh, goodbye to this very special July 4th episode. We honor our uh, birthday of our country with some of our favorite moments in U.S. men's national team history. Any honorable mentions? And Charlie, I'll come to you first. I mean, we talked about 2002 and how important it was for us. I, I mentioned the 2010 goal by Landon um, against Algeria, which helped us win our first ever group. Mm-hmm. A- anything that you think we're missing that we should be discussing with regard to this conversation?
1: The, the Columbia game in the 94 World Cup. A good one. Uh, you know, you can watch the two Escobars, uh, the 30 for 30, that goes with that game. Yeah, amazing. Um, I would sad. say yes. The Portugal game in '02, what, what he with uh, is what Heath uh, touched on. Although the the Mexico game, you know, is the knockout game, so I guess and it's our rival, that's why it, it stood out to me. I'd say the 2010, um, yeah, Algeria game. Other than that, there's not a you know the 2014 game against Portugal, you know, probably should have won. I really say that's it. And then, yeah. We we covered the U.S. Women's ninety nine, uh, the 99ers, How special that was. I don't have another moment that sticks out to me. I feel uh, I feel like we touched everything.
0: Yeah, there's one. Heath, I was gonna bring up uh, just for for historical purposes. We did upset England at the 1950 World Cup. Yeah. So not that Jimmy, that it took Jimmy, Oh a, it took, yeah, it,
2: he, Jimmy was the only one watching that. Yeah, he was 10.
0: <laughs> J, was ten. I was up at two a.m. in the morning watching that. One. No, it's. Uh, I was ten. <laughs> it took us another 40 years to qualify for a World Cup, so I guess we should bring in Paul Caligiuri's goal against Trinidad to help us qualify for that 90. Shot heard around the battle. world. It's mm-hmm. a really important uh, goal in our in our history to get us back into that type of conversation and to qualify for world cups and give us that belief that we had the quality to once 40 years without qualifying is pretty significant, especially for a country, our size. So, but we should mention that the 1950 world cup, we did, we did have our flag in the ground at some point that we could be a force to be reckoned with. It just took us 40 years to wake up again. Jimmy, my other, my,
2: my, my last honorable mention would be that same sort of group. uh, And it's a little bit of me personally, but also the generational push that I think kicked off, Remember Project 2010? We don't have to get into it because we we know it didn't work out, but it was what started the residency program, which then mm-hmm. eventually led to 20, 18 players to 20 players to 40 players to, what, I don't know, 60 to then MLS academies launching and all these things. It was sort of the early point of development when that born in 82 group of of uh, Bobby, oh, I guess he was in 83, but Bobby Convey, you know, Landon Donovan, Demarcus Beasley, and a number of these guys went, Oguchi Onyewu, went and, and finished fourth at the Youth World Cup. I think that was a huge, huge moment for anybody who was at least involved in the ODP program to be like, okay, something's working here. And I think that was a massive push for this idea that we have some raw material that exists around the country, it's going to take a long time to figure out how we're going to shape and mold that and discover that shape and mold that. But I think if you look at that and the the fact that we have a quality of a generation uh, that only went and lived together for a year and a half to then finish fourth in a a youth world cup against some of the best teams in the world. um, I think that was another big moment for me that um, that's worth mentioning as well.
0: Yeah. I was just going to mention that the 2000 Olympics, we had a a team that, got to the bronze medal match. They ended up losing to Spain three to one in the semifinals, but, uh, got to the, the, that in Sydney down in Australia, got to the bronze medal match and ended up losing two zero, but that was a coming out party for a lot of players, uh, as well. You had Landon, you had, uh, Wolfie was down there and Jeff a and, that is a good team, and, and DeMarcus mm-hmm. and everybody. They had a good good squad, and it was just kind of already building on what you were saying before, so we should give them a nod because that was a pretty pivotal moment for that group as well. And I think and potentially because it was in 2000, maybe gave a little bit of a spark of belief for the Landons and DeMarcuses that they could go on on the world stage and obviously perform at the highest level in 2002. So, all right, everybody, that is today's show. We are done and dusted. I hope you're having a great 4th of July or whenever you're listening to this. Thank you for all the subscribes and likes and subscriptions and all that good stuff. We really appreciate you. Happy birthday to our country. So on behalf of Dez and Alex, our producers, and Charlie, Chuck, Wagon, Davies, and Hollywood, Heath, Pierce, I'm Jimmy Cream Cheese Conrad Say. thank you for listening to In Soccer We Trust, and we will see you next time. Later.